Good morning. Welcome to Eagle Church. So glad you're here. Those of you in the room and those of you joining us online, it's so great to have you here this morning for our guest speaker today is Frank Reich. And uh, you may not know this, but Frank and his wife Linda celebrate their 35th wedding anniversary tomorrow. I think that puts our hands together for that. 35 years, coach. Here's a family pic of the Reich crew. So Frank and Linda have three daughters, one grandchild, and a second one on the way, right? So there's that crew. And before Frank started strolling the sidelines as a coach, uh, the sanctuary was his home before the sideline. He got a Master of Divinity degree and went into the pastoral world for a couple of years. And then God called him out of that into the coaching arena. And uh, Frank and I's friendship began in 2006 uh, when he joined the Colts staff as an intern. And we just struck up a great friendship and had a lot of just great times together over the last 15 years. We've been in a Bible study regularly uh, over these 15 years, reading through the one-year Bible together and all those things. I mean, the gift it is to have a man like this in our city, leading in our city the way he is. What a gift that is, right? And then a gift that I have just to have a personal friendship. I'm a better man, better husband, better father, better pastor, better leader because of this man in my life. And of all the things that I admire and respect about Frank, three things stand out the most. Number one, his love for Christ from the moment you interact with him, as you're going to see this morning, Jesus is really the explanation for everything about Frank Reich. He's the center of who he is and what he does. Secondly, his spiritual leadership with his family. I've always been challenged and encouraged and inspired by the prayerful and steady spiritual leadership Frank has provided on his home front. And then thirdly, his obvious love for God's word. In all the Bible studies and chapels I've been in, and if you open up and see his Bible at all, his Bible is just torn apart from cover to cover because he's a man who has been immersed in the God-breathed book for, not an overstatement, decades. So, Eagle Church, put your hands together and give a warm welcome to your head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. Good morning. Great to be here this morning, and I appreciate Pastor Eric and the many years of friendship that we have had, and uh, been such a blessing to me in so many ways. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. In fact, uh, let me get myself organized here. And while you do, you probably see me carrying this around. For those who are football fans, that might look a little familiar. Say so that kind of looks like what you carry around on, on game day and some of the calls, and it is in fact a call sheet. Um, from a game, and you're saying, well, uh, Frank, why, why do you have that here today? Well, I have it as a reminder, for, and it's to remind me of two things. Uh, one is, as a person who has been uh, one of the people responsible for game planning and putting this together, and then also actually calling the plays on game day, one of the things I've learned over the years is that while on game day there's times to adapt and change and, and do certain things, that like 99.9% .9 of the time, it's best to stick to the call sheet, stick to the plan, right? That the, the point, the few times that I've gone rogue or the team has gone rogue in my playing and coaching career, it just seems to always go bad. It just seems to always go bad. So this is a reminder, number one, hey, just stick to the plan, stick to the plan. And on a Sunday morning, in the context of corporate worship, you know, that plan, of course, is going to 
be, hey, stick to preaching God's word. You know, as a head coach, I get an opportunity to speak at a lot of different places over the years. But this is a special morning for me. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is special because this isn't one of those talks. This is something that's set aside by God on a Sunday to, to, to stick to the plan. And that's what I, one of the many things I appreciate about Eric, you know, as our chaplain for the Colts. Um, you know, he just has the simple in, instruction when we talk, hey, what's our, what are we doing? I say, Eric, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, preach this. And we don't need, I don't need you to coach the guys or motivate them on a Saturday night when you're doing chapel or anything like that. Just, just preach the word. Just preach the word, and because this is really dynamic stuff in here, and uh, that will shape who we are as a person, as a football player, as a husband, father, all those things. This has all the power and all the dynamic means right within it. So, Pastor Eric, please just keep being faithful at doing this, and and he's done a great job of that for our team. That's a, a real blessing to me and to our team. Um, so. Uh, as we get into today, I'm, I'm just reminded to stick to this plan. Uh, I need help. Uh, I need help. And so I believe we all need help. So I'm going to pray, and I'm, if you would just join me in prayer and ask God to help us for this message. So, Father, we do uh, pause and reflect and just pray that you would help us in this time. Lord, I pray that the words that we just sang and the reading of Psalm 24, that it would um, dwell deep within our heart and soul, and that you would help us uh, speak this message and listen and understand and apply it and live it out in our everyday lives. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us in an intimate and personal way. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever um, seen someone just after they've had an encounter with someone famous? Uh, maybe you have. Uh, it's fun to see this. Uh, we, our family had a personal, um, uh, a personal story on this. I'll put the picture up. Um, have the picture up. Of course, you probably recognize. Many of you recognize that that's Michael Phelps, and those are all his gold medals. Of course, he's holding his silver and bronze medals. Uh, truly, right, the greatest swimmer of all time. Uh, an amazing, an amazing athlete. An amazing career. And so many years ago. Uh, my, daughter, I, my, wa- my wife, Linda, and I have three daughters, and two of them were swimmers. And swimming's a different sport than football. I mean, so for instance, uh, at one time there was this swim meet, it was called the Ultra Swim, and it was in Charlotte, and that's where we were living. And so uh, my two older daughters who were swimmers were eight and ten at the time, and, and they had qualified for the meet. And the odd thing about it is, as here's an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old, and they're on the deck with Michael Phelps in the meet. And this used to always blow my mind as a, as a former pro football player. Like, I couldn't imagine as a playing little league football at eight or nine years old, being on the field with Johnny Unitas. I mean, it just, it's really funny. So, so here they are at this swim meet. And sure enough, um, in fact, the way it works in the prelims, for those of you who know the swim world, in the prelims, they're just kind of cranking through the prelims. So Michael Phelps is obviously in the last group because the it's the fastest group. And then my, eight, my eight-year-old daughter is in the first group, right, of the next thing. So she's eight, and so it goes youngest to oldest, slowest to fastest. And she had just qualified, so she's in the first heat and the slowest heat. So she's actually standing in line behind Michael Phelps, waiting her turn. And, and so it's just funny and bizarre. And then we're driving home from the swim meet, 
We're driving home from the swim meet, and Linda and I just got the biggest charge out of listening to our daughters and their friends in this van that we were driving all talk about their encounters with Michael Phelps. And uh, one of them talked about, hey, they were in a warm-up lane with him and walking by him on the deck. And the one girl was funny. She said, he looked at me, you know, like he looked at me. And we laughed and we said, of course, we know what that means. That means you're practically best friends because he looked at you. Um, and it was really, really fun. And so, but when, when I think about those encounters and then I think about this morning, what our hope and prayer is this morning, what my hope and prayer is this morning is that we would have an encounter with the most famous person of all, the greatest resume of all time, with Jesus himself. The most, I mean, time is set after this person of Jesus Christ. Um, here's something that helps me. Maybe it'll help you. When I think about, and, 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 and in this time of meeting, he set this up that we can get to know him. So, for instance, many of you know and understand what a date night is with your spouse. Um, that what a date night is, of course, is life is so busy that we're going to set aside one night a week, and that's going to be date night. And so that at least on that one night, we're going to sit across the table from each other, have an intimate conversation, and, you know, put the rest of the busy time aside. And what, what we're looking for this morning in this encounter with Jesus is to understand that he has actually designed things. He's made a date with us this morning. In fact, it's a recurring date. And he set it up when he created the world. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so he set this day apart so that the church could gather in his name and come and have a date with Jesus and get to know him more. Now, just like a normal date night, it doesn't mean that we don't talk to our spouses the other six days of the week. We talk to them every day, you know, all those things. But this day is special. So our prayer this morning is that that's what we would experience. So let's do that. Let's stick to the plan. I'm just going to pick three verses, okay? Three verses that from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is such a great book because the whole central theme of the book is the supremacy of Jesus, of his greatness and how he's superior in every way. And so let's just read these first three verses and, and then dive in. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's a short passage, but the main point, you know, some church, some sermons have three points to them. This morning's message, the good news, only has one point to it, a couple subpoints but has one point, and I think it jumps off the pages to us when we read these first three verses, and it's simply this. God speaks to us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's staggering to me. That's staggering to me. And, and with all due respect to Michael Phelps and all those gold medals and an amazing career and amazing achievements, think about an encounter with God. And think about this resume. He's the infinite, almighty, 
holy, eternal God. He's the one who has no equal in heaven or on earth. He's the one who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. He's the one who spoke to Moses and said, raise your staff over the sea, and the Red Sea parted, and the people passed through. He's the one who turned water into wine. He's the one who spoke to a paralyzed man and said, take up your mat and walk, and the man walked. He's the one who fed 5,000 with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He's the one who spoke and said to the storm, be still. And the seas were instantly calm. He's the one who healed the sick, all kinds, with just the touch of his hands. He's the one who made the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. He's the one who cried out to his dead friend, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out from the grave. I mean, talk about an encounter with someone famous. Jesus, if we're wondering who is the one who does all these things, Jesus is his name. He's the one who did all these things. And how did he do it? The passage tells us it's very, he was appointed heir to all things. Jesus has been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. And as I was looking at that resume, that list of things, and the list could go on and on, as we know, I just thought it was a God moment in our reading this morning from Psalm 24, which this was not orchestrated. This was a God thing talking about who is the king of glory? Who is this king of glory that can make the cease, that can make the storm stop, that can raise the dead? Who is this king of glory? says, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I mean, that's the king of glory. This was the Old Testament. This is Psalm 24. This is David writing this. Jesus had not been revealed yet, but now we get to see what is his name. And his name is Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews is introducing to us. And the whole book, and I, and I do pray and I hope and pray that maybe as a result of this message that one or two of you would walk away and say, hey, I'm going to read the book of Hebrews this week. And what you're going to see is just the absolute supremacy of how great Jesus is. But he's speaking to us. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is actually speaking to us. Why? I mean, it seems like a relevant question. Why is he speaking to me? What does it mean? Well, for starters, He's speaking to us because he loves us. Because he loves us. He's our heavenly father. And we're his children. And he loves us with an everlasting love. With an unconditional love. He reaches out to speak to us right where we are. Not when we get ourselves all cleaned up. But right where we are in the midst of all of our sin. And all the issues that we have in our own life. He speaks to us as we are. And he speaks to us because he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. It's not just about him being the authority over all things, although he is that. He's also our father. He's also our heavenly father. And he wants to have that father-son, father-daughter relationship with us. The intimacy and everything that that means. So let's look more closely at not quite yet what he is actually saying, But let's look first at how he says what he's going to say. It's interesting. I think this passage tells us a little bit about that. 
In verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to us, um, to our forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. At many times and in various ways. I, I want to just camp out here just for a second, because, you know, what does this mean? At many, God spoke to us in the past uh, through the prophets at many times in various ways. Well, I, I think you already know what it means. I think we know what it means. If we just practically think about it, just think about parenting your child. And think about, I speak to my child at many times and in various ways. Why is that? Because just like God has a people or a family on a mission going somewhere, taking them on a journey, we have children, they're our family, and we're taking them on a journey, and we're going somewhere. So it requires that, God, that we speak many times, casting that vision, teaching, instructing many times, and in various ways, right? That just makes sense. It makes sense in coaching, whether we're talking about football or whether we're talking about dance or whether we're talking about piano, whatever the case is, it's many times and in various ways. If I were to use a, a, a fancy word that theologians sometimes use, the word is many times in various ways equals uh, progressive revelation, progressive revelation, where, God, where God's revealing his plan over time. He has a people and a mission, so he can't tell them everything all at once. It's just, I don't want to say it's just like a f football game plan or just like a family doing a thing or a band or whatever, but there's similarities that we can only give bits and pieces along the way. We have to repeat certain things, but in other ways we're repeating it, but the message is also kind of building and stacking on itself, and that's what he's saying here. It's this progressive revelation. I like to every now and then dig in on terms like this. It reminds me, on prog I like to kind of dig in on language. Like, I don't mind the progressive revelation and that's a, or, these, or a deep theological term because I often think of this example. When I was probably 15 years ago, I was going to speak at an event. And it was, uh, and so it's in Paducah, Kentucky. And so I have a connecting flight, and the, my flight into Patuca is a real short flight, and I'm on a small plane, maybe 50 seats, 40 seats. And I get on a plane, and I can instantly tell that I'm the only one on the plane who's not in the group of going to some event that these people are all going to. So I finally, it didn't take me long, I, I finally asked the lady sitting next to me, and I said, okay, I'm, I need to ask the obvious question, what are you all going to do? And she said, well, we're going to the quilting convention. There's a, there's a quilting convention in Paducah, Kentucky every year. And th if you're a quilter, this is, where you, this is where you go. And so it was a great flight. And, I, and over that short flight, I just listened to the buzz on the plane uh, and the excitement about going to the quilting convention and talking about techniques and using, they were using language that I never heard before. It was foreign to me. I mean, it was, it was foreign to me because I'm not a quilter, right? But what I thought about was, man, but if you're a quilter and if you want to grow and get serious about quilting, you go to Paducah. I mean, I mean, that's a big deal. And then I thought about it in terms of football. And I thought to myself, yeah, it kind of makes sense to me in football because growing up, I like to play sandlot football. I play out in the street, play in the yard. But as I grew in my football career, you know, it required me to learn some technical language that if somebody was just sitting next to me on a plane and heard me talking about football terminology and fundamentals and technique, they said, that's what, what's that all about? Just like I was with those women. But if you want to play with the big boys, at some point you got to 
dive in a little bit deeper. Well, isn't that same, can't that same thing be true about our, the Christian life? That just like in quilting, you know, we got to occasionally dive in deep. Just like in football, we got to commit to going to football camps and keep practicing and learn the terminology and, and all those things. That isn't the same thing true in our spiritual lives? I mean, isn't it appropriate that on Sundays, like a lot of times Eric is so good, he's a tremendously gifted preacher, um, and that at times I would expect and I appreciate when he'll take us a little bit deeper. When, when he goes a little bit deeper with our, with our team of players, when we, he's at chapel service. Why is that? Because if you're going to play with the big boys and you want to execute these plays out there, I need to understand the language and, and, and it helps me grow as a Christian. So I think that's what we find here, this progressive revelation. It just makes so much sense to us as parents, as coaches, as Christians, that God, in the context of, of Hebrews 1, here's what happens. Let's look more closely to see. He specifically means, hey, I spoke in the past, in the past through the prophets at many times in various ways. What's he talking about? Moses to Malachi. Those were the Old Testament prophets and everybody in between. That was about a 1,500-year span. So from Moses to Malachi and all the prophets in between, the Bible says that God spoke to his people, his children, and at many times and in various ways, because he was taking them through this journey. They were on a mission to possess this land and to grow as a nation and, you know, that the name of God would be exalted. And through that, he had to do what? He had to speak to them many times and in various ways. And why did he have to do that? Because just like when I was growing up and my parents would have to tell me something, and even though I think I was smart and I got it, but I didn't always, I needed to be reminded. And sometimes, guess what? Sometimes I was smart and I knew it, but sometimes I just went off the path and I needed to be corrected and disciplined and say, hey, get back. So I just needed many times. I need many times. And, and then I also need in various ways. I need in various ways. And here in the scripture, what it's talking about various ways is he spoke to them in prophecies, in visions. This is how he spoke to the prophets. He spoke to the prophets in prophecies, visions, dreams, theophanies. A theophany is like when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. So God spoke to the prophet in the past. God spoke to the prophets in many times, 1,500 years, in various ways. And it just all makes sense because they're on a mission. And guess what? Some of that message through the prophets was repeated over and over again. Same thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall worship no other God before me. Boom. Let's just keep saying that. That's really important. That's foundational. But then in other ways, the message is growing and it's stacking and it's building. And then what we're going to see is when we get to Jesus, he's the final climactic revelation that fulfills every one of those prophecies in every way. So here we go many times, various ways. It's the same thing in football. When I'm, if I was coaching a, a nine-year-old quarterback, you know, he might want to, uh, I remember I was, I was coached my daughters when they were in junior high basketball many years ago. And uh, I remember being at practice on the junior high basketball team and, and I'm running drills and trying to set things up. But at some level, they just wanted to play the game. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to run drills. And so it was just important that we teach this in a progression. Okay, here's a bounce pass. Here's a chess pass. You know, here's, we're going to dribble with our right hand. Dri there's a progression. It's progressive revelation. Okay, here's a pick. 
You know, here's all these things. Same thing playing piano. Let's play your right hand. Now let's play your left hand. Let's study theory. It's all, this is how, those things are all true for music, for sports and school, but they're also true in our spiritual lives. So we have to allow ourselves as Christians to understand that God is speaking to us in many times and in various ways, right? And we have to be patient, you know, with ourselves. The various ways uh, method, I mean, I've really, really come to find that out in the last 15 months as a football coach with COVID. Um, you know, because we got a Zoom, right now we got, we got the challenge of, hey, we can't meet with the players in person. So what do we got to do? We got to talk to them many times and in various ways. We're going to Zoom. We're going to get Kahoot and we're going to play, we're going to do quizzes on Kahoot. We're going to do games. We're going we're gonna to try to figure out any way we can to keep a person's attention and to teach them something valuable for our mission that we're trying to go on. That's what God was doing. In essence, when we read that God was talking many times and in various ways, what was he? He was just mixing it up. As a teacher, he was, he was just mixing it up. And as parents and as coaches, that's what we do. We, we mix it up. That's just, that's just good stuff. And so the summary of this first statement of, from verse 1 is that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. It's just step one, progressive revelation. God's got a message. He's going to speak it at many times and in various ways. Okay, what's the next step? Well, the next passage, uh, the next thing says, but in these last days, but in these last days, well, hold on a second, last days. Now, that, that's a pretty controversial word. That's a buzzword. Um, a lot of decisiveness, um, indecisiveness about what that means and, and so on and so forth. And so I think what we'll say here hopefully can be helpful. This has really helped me. But let's talk about last days and what that means. What does the Bible mean when it says last days? In 1999, there was a book that came out called Last Days Madness. The, sub, the subtitle was The Obsession of the Modern Church. I'm guessing that this book came out in 1999 in conjunction with the Y2K craze. But this was nothing new to Y2K. This had been going on for 2,000 years. There were always people who said, we're in the last days and that Jesus is coming back. But when they were saying that, in some respect, they were wrong because their definition of last days meant that he was going to come back in their lifetime or in our lifetime, in this generation. And the ones that have said this in the past have all been wrong. Now, he may come back in this generation. We, you know, we don't know. So in that respect, they were all wrong. But there's another respect that they were all right. Because actually, the way the Bible defines last days is this. Last days is a time error. It doesn't necessarily mean how close Jesus is to coming back. It has to do with, here's the time period between the first coming of Christ at the incarnation when he was born in the major. That, that instituted the beginning, that, that was the beginning of the last days period. So when it says in the past, God spoke through the prophets. Now in these last days, Jesus is on the speed. Jesus is on scene. He's going to speak to us by his son. So it starts when he gets on the scene and then last days ends, not when he rises from the dead, but when he comes again at the final, at his second coming. 
So what does that mean? What's the implication of that? If we were sitting, if we were in the church that was first, if we were in a church, you know, back in uh, the first century, and we were reading the book of Hebrews back in the first century, and we read that statement, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, we would know what that meant. Jesus just died, and he rose again. He appeared to many, and, and now we're in the last days, and he's probably coming back again real soon. But the point of this passage is that the, we're in the same time era, the same time era that they were in 2,000 years ago. So the words to the first century Christians are the same to us, that in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. This is really important for us to understand. But there's something else that's really significant about this term. It not only talks about a period of time, first coming to second coming, it also says something about the nature of this period of time that these last days signify the final age of this world's history. It is an age where God is completing his revelation in climatic fashion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that what happens is the prophets, God speaks through the prophets. It was great. God's message is coming through them. It's strong. But now in these last days, he sends his one and only son. He sends his one and only son, right? The word became flesh. The very word of God became flesh and dwelt among us so that the climactic and full and complete revelation of who God is was all going to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, this final and complete revelation results in the spreading of of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. So this is what it means by last days. So it's helpful for us as Christians to have that understanding that it's talking about first coming to second coming. So let's just summarize to this point. Only one point to this message. God speaks to us. The one, the infinite almighty God, the one who has authority over everything, speaks to us. In the past, he spoke through the prophets but many times in various ways, but now in these last days, then the verse goes on, the verses go on to say, he has spoken to us by his son. And here's, here's the key sentence. And the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Packed into this sentence, the sentence that the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, Packed into this sentence is one of the most profound truths in the Christian faith. And that is the truth that Jesus bears the stamp of the very nature of God. In other words, Jesus is God. He is a man, but he also is God. Let's look at a, here's an an illustration that helps me understand this. And it's an astronomy illustration. It's one that we all understand. We all intuitively, we we know this is easy for us. So let's use it. So let's look at the relationship of the sun and the moon. Okay? At night, we know that the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. This is similar to how the prophets reflected the light of God. So God's the sun. He's the essence of the light. God has... God has the essence of the light and the light comes from God and it shines on the prophets and the prophets are, are, 
or they write down the words of God because they get the light of God on them to write down his words. But now, but they don't embody the light. They're like a moon. They're like a moon. They don't fully embody what they're writing. They, they don't have the essence of the light within them. They're only reflecting it. However, at the incarnation, when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, what, the, what this passage is saying, that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being is that Jesus has the essence of God in him. He's the exact representation, the exact nature of God. So in other words, you know, when the sun rises, okay, when the sun rises here on earth, what happens? We, you no longer see the moon. Oh, we actually might see the moon up there, but it's just kind of faded, or sometimes the clouds are covering. But we see the sun, and we feel the sun. Well, now just think of it this way. When Jesus came, if I could be, this is a little bit corny, but it, it makes sense, is there was a sunrise, except not S-U-N, it was S-O-N, that the sunrise right? So now the prophets were like the moon. Jesus, who has the essence of God, spreads God's word in a way that it doesn't diminish the prophets. It doesn't say that they were wrong, but it just now fully embodies it in every way and shines even more light on it for us to learn and grow in our Christian faith. And that's what the book of Hebrews, that's what this book of Hebrews is all about. It's all about how Jesus Christ is the complete revelation of God and supreme over everyone. I, with the draft coming up, I have to make this analogy. Um, we talk, we, you know, Chris Ballard, our GM, he, he takes us through, you know, the, the draft evaluation of players. And, um, and when we, we usually talk, there's a lot of different categories that you talk in, but sometimes for simplicity's sake, we can break it down into two categories. What's their character or their football character? What are their traits of their football character? But then what are their kind of performance traits? Like how well do they play the position? And what we find in the book of Hebrews is that when it talks about the angels and when it talks about Moses and Joshua and Aaron and all the Old Testament heroes, it's kind of giving them a grade, like a draft grade of, hey, this guy's good here. He's, he's, he's a little weak here. He's got good traits here. And then we have our grading scale that we use. Um, but then it comes to Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, what the book of Hebrews is saying, because in, sometimes there's just a player who's just in another league. I mean, he's just in another league. When it comes to character traits, Jesus has every one of them. He's perfect, right? He has the essence of God in it. When it comes to performance traits, He's, he's got all the traits. He plays the perfect game. He, he lived his life here on earth, was without sin. He was without sin, scored 100%, right? So he's, the, he's just in another league. That's what the book tells us over and over again. So then just wrapping up. Knowing that the, the main point of this message is that God speaks to us, let's just, I, I think it's relevant to say, now, what is he saying? Not just how is he saying. We talked about how he's saying what he's saying. But what is he saying? What is Jesus saying to us? And obviously, there's a lot that Jesus says in here. And this is why we need progressive revelation. This is why we need to be patient with ourselves and just take little chunks at a time and learn and grow and just be patient and allow ourselves 
to learn and grow, just like we would as a piano, play the right hand, then the left hand, let's learn this chord, then we'll learn that chord. It's okay, we don't have to learn it all at one time. Just, we come to church every week, we read the Bible and interact with other Christians, and we just, we can learn and grow together. That's, that's how it works. But if we were just to pick one or two things, let's just, we gotta start somewhere, right? Progressive revelation starts somewhere. So this morning, I would just suggest we start when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Jesus, what, and his very words were, the greatest commandment is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is, the, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is likened unto it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So that we can walk out of here knowing that Jesus, God is speaking to us, Jesus is speaking to us, and what he's saying to us today is, hey, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I, this is so incredibly important. As an ex-football player, I'll just give you a quick illustration how this connects. And I think you'll see it's not just about football, but it's really anything. As a former quarterback, when you drop back in the pocket, it's not exactly an easy job. There's guys on the other side of the ball that are trying to hurt you, you know, all kinds of bad things to you. But as a quarterback, you don't even look at them. You're not afraid. You, stand, you feel the pressure. You feel them rushing you, but you're not looking at them. Your eyes are down the field doing what? Looking at the play that has been called. You've been called, been given a play to run, and you have a vision for that, and that's what we focus on. So I can walk out of here knowing that in life's journeys, all the ups and downs of life, life is going to throw us curveballs, right? We're going to have financial struggles. We're going to have relational struggles. We're going to have every struggles with our children. We're going to, there's, we're all, every one of us, no one is exempt. We all go through it. And what the message is, hey, just don't ever forget this, Frank. In all your struggles up and down, just, just hold on to this one thing. If I, if there's one thing I want you to hold on to, just love God. Love God and love other people. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And I, I would just want us to leave here saying that if there's one thing I know in my life I'm called to do, if there's one assignment that I know, forget all the vocational thing, and uh, love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others. That is the first and the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us. So that's one thing that's very critical that he's saying. The second question that we have to answer, given that God is speaking to us, is not only what is he saying, but it's, are we listening? Are we really listening? Like, are we really listening? Um, many of you, most of you in here aren't old enough to remember there used to be a commercial series um, by E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton was a stockbroker. And um, I want to play this short commercial for you to make this next point. My broker says, in the long run, that kind of investment could be a good idea. What's your broker say? Well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, When E.F. Hutton docks, people listen. Right, so this series of commercials was either at the airport, it was at a football game, it was in a mall, at a marketplace, something. And every commercial showed the busyness of life 
But then when E.F. Hutton spoke and he was about to give a stock recommendation, everybody stopped and listened. And so the question is that in our busy lives, and today obviously you are, I commend you, you know, you, are, you, you stopped from your busy life this week and you said, Sunday, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen as Pastor Eric teaches us the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to listen as he progressively, as there's a progressive nature to what he teaches us about God's plan for our life and about who this Jesus is and about how his life affects my life. Everything about it is going to be unfolded. Are we stopping on Sundays to listen to what God is saying? And then, of course, it's not just on Sundays. There's, there's an everyday aspect to what we do as well. Because Jesus not only wants to be part of our life, I mean, he not, only wants to, uh, he not only wants us to love him, right? Then he wants us to, to come and receive him as Lord and Savior. He, he also tells us that he came to save sinners like me, the chief of sinners, that I scored zero. Like in my, in my quest for salvation on my own, not only did I not... I, I scored zero. That's what the Bible teaches, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That Jesus says, I came to save sinners so that whatever score we think, God doesn't grade on a curve. This was a big revelation to me, but he requires a score of 100% to get into heaven. And so the Bible teaches us that what, I'm, what he says is, I came to save sinners. I didn't come for the healthy, he says. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the sick. I came for those who know they need me. I came for those who know they're sinners. And, and that's me. That's me. And then there's a realization that not only do I need him, the realization that, but that I don't score one point. The Bible says that our best works are filthy rags. But here's the gift of salvation that Jesus says. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you place your faith and trust in me, and guess what happens? By faith, we receive the gift of eternal life. By grace, by grace, it's not anything I did. It's not anything you did. But by grace, we receive that. And when we believe, because Jesus, going back to the draft example, was in another league and lived a perfect sinless life and scored 100%. When I believe in Jesus, I get his score of 100% and get salvation. What does Jesus get? We, we saw it last week, Good Friday. He gets my score. He gets my score zero. He takes on my sin. Every sin that I ever committed, will commit, dumped on him. Dumped on him. That's the exchange that takes place at Easter. That's the exchange that takes place when we commit our life to Christ, when we're listening and we understand that he came to save sinners. And when we really listen, and then the last point is, and we respond. In that commercial, the only thing that I don't like about that commercial is everybody was listening, but did any of them actually buy the stock? I don't know. Maybe some did, maybe some didn't. They were all curious. But do we just come to church and are we just curious? Or are we going to invest? Are we going to go all in? Are we going to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and confess our sin to him and be restored to new life through Christ? 
Are we going to respond? That's what the message is calling us for. And so as I close us in prayer, I just want to, I'm always reminded of in sports, there's a, we use a term a lot of times, there's defining moments in, in an athlete's career. It might be a great game. It might be coming back from an injury. It could be a lot of different things. But these defining moments in an athlete's career are important. But they're not the sum total, but they're important. Well, I think the same thing is true spiritually, that we have defining moments in our life spiritually. It's not the sum total of everything, but it's an important moment. Like maybe this morning. Maybe this morning is a defining moment for you spiritually. Like, you know what? I've never accepted Christ into my life. I've never confessed my sin. I never kind of understood that God didn't grade on a curve, that Jesus was in another league. I, I just realized today that Jesus is in another league. There's no one like him. He lived this perfect life, and he died on the cross for my sins. He took my bad score, and, I get, and if I place my faith and trust in him, I confess my sins, I get his good score. And so maybe today you want to accept Christ into your life for the first time. Or maybe you've already done that, but you've kind of walked away and strayed Today could be a defining moment for you to kind of rekindle that intimacy with Christ that draws you to him. He's drawing us to him. He wants to be a part of everything in our life. That beginning illustration with Michael Phelps, can you imagine this? Can you imagine my daughters if they had, if they're in the warm-up lane with Michael Phelps and he stopped and he stopped and they're warming up and he stopped and he said to one of the girls, hey, let me help you with your flip turn. Or let me help you with your stroke right here. Or maybe it's after the race is over. Hey, let's sit down and talk about that race. See how it went. Let's kind of talk through the good, the bad, how it can get better. How are you feeling about that? Maybe it's, hey, after the swim meet's over, can we go get something to eat? I'd like to meet your family and friends. Can we, can we go hang out together? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he not only wants us to acknowledge that he's in another league, and that he's our Lord and Savior. But he's saying, I, I want to get, I want you to spend time with, I want to be with you. I want to go with Frank. I want to go with you Sundays when you're on the sideline during the season. I, I want to be by your side on the sideline and, and be with you through a football practice, through life's ups and downs. I want to be with you. That's the invitation. Today could be that defining moment where we take that step and recommit ourselves to that way. So let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you sent Jesus, your one and only Son, to speak the words of everlasting life to us, words that would give us um, a hope and a future, words that set us free, words that, of forgiveness that cleanse our heart and soul in ways that only you can do. And Father, I pray that we would be on this journey with you, whether it's a first-time commitment or a recommitment, that we would want to get on the path with you. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. And just pray that you lead and direct our every step. In Christ's name, amen.